This is Decoding Security, a podcast from Microsoft Australia about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. On the show, you'll hear from leaders in cybersecurity as well as Microsoft experts as we break down strategies to help keep your business secure. I'm your host, Mark Anderson, and I'm the Chief Security Officer here at Microsoft Australia. In today's episode, we'll break down how we do incident management at Microsoft. Kenny Singh, Head of Cybersecurity for Microsoft ANZ, will be joined by John Dellinger, Chief Security Advisor for Microsoft, as he takes Kenny through Microsoft's global approach to incident management. You'll hear John explain what all the terms actually mean when it comes to cybersecurity at Microsoft, what the key metrics are to help Microsoft continually improve, and why having a good relationship between the business and the security team is so important. Let's go over to John to start the conversation. With me today, I actually have a very esteemed colleague in John Dellinger. John, can we know more about you, please? Hi, Kenny. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I am a chief security advisor here at Microsoft. I'm on a team of around 20 or so former CISOs who now work at Microsoft and provide security consulting advice to our top enterprise customers. I myself am not a former CISO. I actually have worked at Microsoft in a threat intelligence role for a number of years, and before that was in government and military work doing similar kind of work. And my job is to be a conduit for our customers into our internal security teams and to provide some transparency and some insight into how we do security at Microsoft. Great. Thank you, John. I personally was really looking forward to this conversation. I always learn a lot when we have this kind of conversations. So let's get right into it. There are a lot of teams here. There are over 10,000 people focused on cybersecurity at Microsoft. So there's a lot of teams internally. There's Mystic, there's the Optic, OPTIC, there's the MSRC, there's the DCU, there's the CDOC. John, can you please just help us understand what these teams do and how they differ in what they do from each other? Sure. That's a great question. So it can be very confusing even if you work inside Microsoft. So let me just go down that list here. I think I'll invert the first two. So Mystic is our Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center. They're basically dedicated to understanding threat actors. They have analysts who do malware research, research nation state actors. They also manage our threat intelligence relationships with government and law enforcement and industry partners. And so they're not providing direct service to any customers, they're producing threat intelligence that we can consume either as customers or internally as customers. One of the teams that consumes that threat intelligence and turns it around to support our incident responders and investigators within our own company is the OPTIC, which stands for Operational Threat Intelligence Center. And they're basically our internal threat intel team. And so we're sitting in the CDOC alongside the investigators and incident responders providing them some insight and context around the threat actors that they're up against and the threats that they're facing, what the enemy's capability and intentions might be, and so on. You mentioned MSRC, Microsoft Security Response Center. And that's one that maybe customers are familiar with because MSRC runs our patch cycle. So our Patch Tuesday regular updates is run by MSRC. They also blog on the TechNet blog and push out information about the latest vulnerabilities and threats. So they're a little more customer facing and they also run our company-wide incident response process. And then we have the CDOC. The CDOC is the Cyber Defense Operations Center, which you can see behind me. 
And it is actually a team of teams. This is where all of our internal security teams come together to provide an enterprise-wide seamless incident response capability. So this is a fusion center where we bring together investigators, incident responders, threat intelligence, legal folks, communications, marketing, whoever might be involved in a particular incident, they come here to work together to investigate and remediate that incident. You also mentioned the DCU, the Digital Crimes Unit, and they're co-located with the CDOC, and they are our organization that helps protect users of the internet. So this is the organization that is tracking criminal enterprises on the internet, working with the FBI and with other law enforcement agencies around the world to partner with them to help fight cybercrime. So these are the folks taking down botnets and busting up cyber fraud syndicates and so on. Thank you so much. That actually makes a lot of sense and truly fascinating. There's such a diverse set of teams doing different kinds of things in the cybersecurity arena. So thank you so much for that. John, if you think about the Microsoft SOC or this Microsoft Security Operations Center, would the understanding be correct that that's essentially the CDOC? Essentially, you know, if you look out onto this watch floor behind me, if you were with me in person, you basically could divide it up into two components. There is a part of that watch floor that is providing corporate security services. So that's like our internal corporate SOC, which a lot of customers can relate to because that's what they have. And then the other side of the facility is helping to protect our cloud infrastructure. So they too have a SOC. They're slightly different roles and functions using slightly different tools, but they're essentially both working to do the same kind of job to protect the infrastructure. And there are a lot of other teams that support this, teams that represent our products and our services and our internal organizations. But yes, when we talk about the CDOC, we're talking about our own corporate IT SOC and some other security elements as a part of that as well. Right. So if we zoom in then on the CDOC, what would you say are the different teams that make up the CDOC? How do they participate in the incident response process? How does it all work? Well, let's take it on the corporate IT side. We have a tiered incident response structure. And actually, the truth is we actually share that structure with some of the other teams as well. So the first tier to that is actually automation. So we are leveraging the automation, the machine learning, the artificial intelligence that you can harness with the cloud to do a lot of the work for us, to basically take in all of the telemetry that we get from the use of our products and services around the world and run that through some big cloud-powered AI engines and machine learning engines to identify anomalous and malicious behavior and then look for automation to respond to that. The things that can't be responded with using automation, they pop out of this system and we have a three-tier structure that we use and the first tier would be our triage tier. And so these are people sitting in the CDOC who are looking at an alert queue and the little blinking lights that they are clicking on and responding to are incidents that could not be resolved by automation. And so they're opening that and they're having a look at it and they've got about 15 minutes to do something with that. And they're using a checklist approach and just basically process driven approach to triage that and try to solve it. If they cannot solve it, they escalate it to the next tier, which is what we call investigations. And that's made up of representatives from all those different teams that I mentioned. These are the experts in that product or service or that area. They have a depth of knowledge, but they also have a little more time to dig into that alert a little bit further. In fact, 96% of all of our alerts that pop out of automation are in fact resolved by either triage or investigations, one of those two tiers, within an hour or so. Anything that takes longer gets escalated yet again. And that goes up to our 
tier three, which we have sort of a proactive and a reactive side. So we've got our proactive hunters and whatnot. We have people who can tune the automation. So if we have an alert that's not particularly time sensitive, they'll deal with that. But if we get something serious, like a threat actor in our environment, it goes up to the reactive side and we stand up and a specific task force to fight that incident. Right, okay, so that actually makes a lot of sense. And look, I just wanted to call out that all these different experiences that you're talking about, our approach, if the audience wanted to understand more about it, we do have the Microsoft Cybersecurity Reference Architecture and the Cloud Adoption Framework, specifically the security operations sections of it. A lot of our best practices are captured in that. Just to give you an example, you know, when we actually think about the alerts, we don't want to wait for something that's highly critical that actually has been impacted for it to basically cycle through that alert process, right? We actually want that when the alert is raised for something that's highly critical, that's deemed as a critical asset to the organization, we actually want someone to respond to it absolutely directly, not for it to actually end up in some kind of an alert queue. So that kind of guidance, those kind of best practices, those kind of lessons learned, you can have a look at all of those in the Microsoft Cybersecurity Reference Architecture and the Cloud Adoption Framework, the SecOps modules of it. What I think is great about that Microsoft cyber reference architecture is that it's quite an intimidating view. When you look at it, it's quite robust and detailed. And then you can go online and access it and click on the PowerPoint presentation. And in slideshow mode, you can click on the build of the slide. That actually reduces the complexity a lot because you get to bite it off in chunks. And I think it's actually really well done to that end. Absolutely. And it was recently refreshed. So there's a lot of great information in that that's fairly current and fairly recent. So John, then pivoting on continuous improvement, you know, thinking about how you evolve the effectiveness of Microsoft security operations through the CDOC, what are some of the key metrics that you track? And how do you really think about continuous improvement? There's a few things that we do. As I mentioned to you before, we are heavily leveraging our Microsoft security products now. There's a lot of automation built into those products, built into the back end. And we want to make sure that we're able to focus our people on the most important alerts and the alerts that require people to look at them. So we want to make sure that they're looking at true positive alerts, that we're filtering out the noise. So we have people in the CDOC whose dedicated job is to fine tune those tools to make sure that we're constantly narrowing down and making sure we're getting the right alerts out of those tools and tuning out the noise. So we use all sorts of metrics on the machine learning and automation side of the equation. I mean, how many alerts are identified through automation? How many are remediated exclusively by automation? How long it takes to remediate them? We can measure what different types of automation is answering what different types of alerts and so on. We also are using metrics to measure on the people side how long it takes for our people to acknowledge an alert, to open it up, to respond to it, how long it takes to escalate it and ultimately resolve it. There are some things that we do in addition to that to help ensure that our people are being engaged in the most productive way. One of those is by enforcing an 80% true positive threshold on our alert feeds. So for all of our alert feeds, they have to maintain an 80% true positive output. So if they drop below that, we actually turn that alert feed off and send it back to the engineers to tweak it. That way our people know that the alerts that pop up in their queue are alerts that demand their attention. And by leveraging this automation, we're able to reduce this funnel of, in our case at Microsoft, seeing 600 billion events per month down to a few thousand events per month that remediations can be automated. And then from that system pop out basically hundreds of events that people have to look at. And so it's a way of really using this automation and this 
system to filter and deduplicate alerts to make sure that our people are focused on the most important things. And just given the amount of noise we actually have right now from all these alerts, AI and ML to reduce that noise, we've actually heard it loud and clear from our customers that actually has a profound impact on their ability to pay attention to the things that really matter in their specific context. Pivoting then, John, to threat intelligence. So if you think about TI, how does the CDOC leverage TI and how do we contribute to TI? We have a lot of threat intel at Microsoft. I remember when I first started here in 2015, I was hired on to our internal threat intelligence team and I started introducing myself as being on the threat intel team. And I would meet new colleagues who introduced themselves as being on the threat intel team. And I would be confused because I knew everyone on my team and they weren't on my team. So it took a while to realize that we have multiple threat intel teams at the company. Some of them are embedded in our products and services. So Office has a threat intel team. Azure has a threat intel team. We have an internal threat intel team that reports to our CISO, the one I used to work on, Optic. And we have Mystic, for example. So there's a lot of different threat intel. Just to break down some of the things they do, the folks who work in the Azure space are basically taking all of that great telemetry that we have access to and looking for scouring it, looking for information from the telemetry, looking for threat intelligence that we can use to write new detections for new types of vulnerabilities and new types of alert. And they're building that straight into our products. That's the job they're doing. I mentioned before that Mystic is doing very strategic level work, studying threat actors, doing malware analysis, things like that. Our optic is supporting our incident response process by providing context around who the threat actor is, what their tactics, techniques, and procedures are. Our team also helped our strategic leadership understand better what the vulnerabilities and attacks out there meant to Microsoft. So we would do a lot of strategic level reporting to them, not only telling them about what the attacks were directed at us, what the impact of those attacks were, but also the attacks that were generally out there in the industry that might be relevant to us that we should have awareness of. So we were doing that kind of work as well. We take threat intelligence from all manner of sources. We have our own internal sources. We're doing dark web research. We're doing open source research. We also use some third-party threat intelligence feeds, and we contribute back into those feeds as well. And we have government partnerships and industry partnerships, law enforcement partnerships, and so on. Would it be then fair to say, John, that your contribution back to TI is obviously at that very tactical level, you know, indicators of compromise and what you're actually seeing in your day-to-day execution, day-to-day operation in the CDOC. But it also has a strategic outlook where you sit down with the leadership, where you sit down with the CISOs, and you actually talk to them about what those threats really mean to the context of the business and what kind of impact could potentially be expected of threats like that. So looking at threat hunting then, John, We've been talking about a lot of reactive stuff till now, the different teams that we have in the triage team and the investigations team, the incident management team, and a whole raft of mechanisms we actually leverage, different forms of TI and so on and so forth. So how do we think about threat hunting then? How does threat hunting fit in the context of effective security operations? At Microsoft, our approach to threat hunting has been to basically recognize that there are two different types of threat hunting that we need to do. The other thing to point out first is that When you've reached a certain maturity level in in enterprise security, you then start investing in threat hunting capabilities, whereas before you get to that point, it might be a job that maybe your SOC analysts do on the side. So you give them a few hours a week to go do threat hunting and that sort of thing. But we're at a point now where we have dedicated threat hunters. And we have reactive hunters and proactive hunters. We separate them. We give them very delineated lines in the road to operate within. They are co-located, though, because... The truth is sometimes one needs to help the other. 
And also we want to keep our thumb on the pulse of ongoing operations. So for example, our proactive threat hunters, they are not getting dragged into incidents. They are in the CDOC. They can see the incidents taking place around them. But the idea here is that they get to step back a little bit and keep a strategic, let's call it 50,000 foot picture of the landscape in the CDOC and start to visualize trends over time with these incidents. They are using threat intelligence. They're working with our red teams and they're using their own hypotheses, some pretty structured formulaic approaches to it as well, to identify areas that they want to go hunting in. So that's very much a combined effort, using multiple players to identify what those areas are that they need to go looking for. And they go hunt through the data. Our reactive hunters are standing by to support incidents. That's when they will jump in and work with the investigators to go hunting through data to look for indicators that we've been compromised after we get those initial indicators that there's been an incident. That makes a lot of sense. When we think about reactive hunters and proactive hunters, John, what do we actually do in the CDOC to ensure that knowledge is being shared between these two different teams? Because they are two different teams, but as you mentioned earlier, they basically belong to the same part of the organization. So how do we actually ensure that there's active knowledge sharing going on there? One of the important benefits that we derive from having a fusion center approach, having a CDOC with multiple teams represented, is that it allows us to really fulfill that feedback loop a lot better than we ever used to be able to. Because we're all co-located, we're all using the same playbooks, we have pretty streamlined and pretty established processes for providing feedback, for integrating our hunting efforts into the different products and services, for making sure that they get the after-action reports of these activities, that they get a chance to have a say in those activities as well. We do some pretty structured events, like we have a war game every year called One Hunt, where we work with our red teams and our hunters and the red teams will sit down and plan that out. And then there's a wash up afterwards where we go and debrief all of the different stakeholders, everybody that was involved in the incident, everyone that participated on our findings and areas for improvement. And we're not going to close off those events, either after an incident or a war game. We're not going to just put it on the shelf and walk away. We're going to make sure that remediations have been implemented, lessons learned have been recorded and whatnot before we close those books. So just on the subject of automation then, we actually have different capabilities focused around automation in Microsoft Sentinel, in Microsoft 365 Defender. A question that we actually get asked very often is that what really is the difference between the automation offered by Microsoft Sentinel and by Microsoft 365 Defender? So I just want to take a few seconds just to talk about that. So in Sentinel, we have the concept of playbooks. There's a very flexible mechanism available to orchestrate different sources and to ensure that we actually have that end-to-end -end automation working across all the different data sources. In Microsoft 365 Defender, which is the Microsoft XDR, in fact, we have two XDR products at Microsoft. There's Microsoft Defender for Cloud, formerly known as Azure Security Center. And then we have the Microsoft 365 Defender XDR product. So in Microsoft 365 Defender, we have the auto IR capability. So essentially we coalesce all the alerts from endpoints, from identities, from apps, from data. We group them into incidents and there's a whole raft of auto investigation that happens in the background. And essentially we actually surface specific decisions that the security operations people actually need to make to them. And as they make those decisions, the system learns that and further fine tunes itself. So in Microsoft 365 Defender, it's the auto IR capability that drives our automation. And in Sentinel, you actually have the playbooks mechanism. So given that, John, if we think about the role of human beings in an effective security operations environment where we have this degree of automation, 
how would we think about that in the CDOC? So what do you feel is the role of a human being in this automation and AI and ML-driven security operations function? Lots of people in my field, in our industry, have wondered, will automation make our problems go away? Will it mean that we can hire less people? Will our people have to be less specialized? It's emerging across the industry. It's becoming quite clear that we're not going to be able to get away with fewer people. Automation eliminates the complexity of the situation we're dealing with. It brings in more factors to be taken into consideration, more points of data to be interpreted and analyzed and assessed and drawn together to make conclusions. We can use automation to help us make some of those conclusions, but I'm still finding that people are crucial to this whole effort. When we talk about people, we're really looking for a combination that I don't think you can automate these days. There's a concept of having a familiarity with your business environment and understanding what your enterprise IT environment looks like, as well as the security tools you're using. And that's quite complex and you can automate some of that. But the flexibility to be able to take in information from unorthodox sources, to be able to piece things together, draw deductions, these are the kinds of things that we still need people to do. There's a lot of nuance to this information. Sometimes the automation can point you in the wrong direction. So keeping those people on board, finding the right people, keeping them interested and engaged, in other words, compensating them and rewarding them and providing them challenging work, I think is all really important part of that. That makes a lot of sense, John. So if you think about then security operations integrating with the rest of the business, deep connections into the business with bi-directional information flow happening, how do we think about that in the CDOC? And why do you feel it's important, John? Well, it certainly is important. I mean, you have a two-way relationship here between the business units and the security operations. You clearly want to make sure that we understand what the needs and priorities of the business are so that we can prioritize our own operations. You were previously talking about automation and the identification of high-value assets and things like that. This is obviously part of that. If I don't understand what my business priorities are, then it's up to me to guess where to focus my efforts and to where to prioritize my own security responses and my own efforts. So I think that's really important. Also, having the business get an understanding of what we're doing to protect the infrastructure is vitally important as well. And that can really manifest in some pretty, what sound like kind of obvious ways, but things that we don't necessarily think about. So for example, you know, if you have a senior person who travels a lot for your business, who gets compromised on the road, say you have an executive or whatever, and you have a security operations center that gets indicators of that compromise and wants to take action, can they lock that person's account? What if your CEO is overseas? Can we lock their account? We might really need to do that because milliseconds matter. Do your people feel safe from the point of view of getting in trouble for locking your CEO's account or whoever that person might be? So that's why that dialogue is really important. So those expectations are set and everybody knows what everyone's doing there. There's other reasons why it's important too. And then John, thinking about all the experiences that we've actually had running the CDOC over the last several years, what would you say are some of the other elements security operations teams need to think about to ensure that we have an effective security operations function in place? Well, it goes back to what I was just saying as well. I think having a good relationship between the business and the SOC and the security teams so that you're both working towards the same goal. I think that's really important. As IT rolls out changes to the environment and the infrastructure, they need to be coordinating with the security teams and with the SOC so that we know, for example, if there's been some sort of IT change, so that if we're starting to investigate something, we know what's happening on the back end so that we don't go chasing shadows, so to speak. I think that's really important. There's some enterprise security best practices that are really important here as well. 
rolling out a zero trust approach, focusing on the identity and endpoint perimeter, both really important. These are things that will enable a SOC to really focus on the most important work as they build up their maturity. A question that we get very often, John, is how do we actually think about operationalizing the MITRE attack framework in the context of an effective security operations function? It'd be great to get your insights on that. How do we think about that in the CDOC? Have we operationalized the MITRE attack framework? And if we have, how have we gone about it? We helped construct the MITRE attack framework. You know, we had a role to play in that. And I think it can be quite daunting to figure out the best and most agile way of using that MITRE attack framework, because there's a lot of information there. And of course, depending on where you sit in the technical spectrum of incident response or security work or whatever, there are pieces of it that will apply to you. And then there are pieces that don't. Taking what you can out of that and operationalizing it and not worrying too much about eating the entire meal, right? Just eat the bites that you can digest. So in our case, and in my personal experience, the example of threat intelligence comes to mind. There are hundreds of attack types of TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures outlined in the MITRE attack framework. And there's a tree that links them to subordinate sort of TTPs and even more subordinate, and it goes down for layers. Now, when we're reporting major incidents to our CISO and our senior leadership, as I described before, to give them some context and understanding of what we're seeing out there and how it might impact us, it would be quite counterproductive to identify all of the different TTPs that we see in the MITRE attack framework. So in our case, we've narrowed those down to a digestible, I think, 32 TTPs that we use that can all be traced down to more detailed and nuanced TTPs, but we're sticking to the 32. They're all MITRE attack related TTPs. But when we report at a strategic level, we keep it simple. Using the MITRE attack framework, but not to the degree where the tail starts wagging the dog. Using it in a way that you can wield it and wield it in an effective manner, I think is important. Right. And it's been a multi-year journey for us, right? So you know, we actually had a three-pronged approach to ensuring that we're operationalizing the MITRE attack framework. And in the process, we are significantly simplifying the work of security operations. So I'll just quickly describe what these three prongs of the process have actually been. So we started by integrating our XDR and SIEM products. So just to recap, the SIEM product we're actually referring to here is Microsoft Sentinel. The XDR products are Microsoft Defender for Cloud and Microsoft 365 Defender. So that was step number one, to ensure that we actually had very tight integration between the SIEM product, between the XDR products. Step two in the journey was to ensure that we actually had consistent schema across the different vectors of protection. So for example, the signals that we're actually getting from endpoints, whether it's IP addresses or whatever indicator of compromise or whatever could be a potential indicator of compromise, it's defined the same way at a data level across endpoints, identities, apps, data, network, and infrastructure. Step number three in the process was to ensure that we actually have the fidelity of confidence across these different vectors when it comes to alerts. When an endpoint security tool thinks that something that actually needs to be attended to right away, it's a high severity alert, that notion, that prioritization is consistent across the board. So that level of confidence on an alert is consistent across the board. And what we actually had to grapple with is that if you actually think about different solutions, so for example, if you think about an antivirus solution, it's always going to err on the side of you know, basically flagging things. Because if they actually don't flag things, then if you look at industry benchmark tools, they're actually going to vote them down or they're actually going to basically ping them or not picking up certain anomalies in behavior on the endpoints. 
Whereas when you actually think about identities, you have to be very careful as an identity vendor, as an identity provider on what you are actually surfacing. Because if you generate too much noise through your alerts, then the confidence in the tool itself goes down. So it's been a multi-year journey for us. It's something that we've actually been on for, for the last several years, multi-year journey. But we hope that through all these investments that we've actually made in the SIEM and XDR integration, in ensuring consistency of data schemas, in ensuring consistency of alert fidelity, and that will really help security operations team focus on the things that actually matter the most in that context. So John, if we think about how customers can leverage some of our best practices, some of our lessons learned, some of our learnings, we've talked about the Microsoft Service Security Reference Architecture, the Cloud Adoption Framework, the SecOps modules in that. What would be some of your other recommendations that customers can consider today to really ensure that they're actually setting themselves up to really respond to these advanced attacks that we're seeing in the ecosystem? which are pretty sophisticated in several instances. Well, I'm always blown away when someone directs me to a new Microsoft resource that's publicly available that I've never seen before. And I'm always impressed at how thorough and in-depth they are, how in many cases, not in all cases, they're inherently digestible and readable. Some of those that come to mind, and I, I'm a little biased because I helped generate them, our CISO series, Lessons Learned from the Microsoft SOC blog series. We'll provide a link to it, but there are nine blogs in the series, and it covers a whole range of SOC-related topics, how we train people, how one can train people, how the different roles in the CDOC or in the SOC work together or need to be evolved and developed, the tools that we use, how we do hunting, and so on and so on. I think it's a really good, again, easily digestible series, and there's lots of little nuggets of information in there. So I think that's probably a really good place to start. I also wanted to call out that we have a number of support services available to our customers through Premier Support and Unified Support. These support services span the proactive, so setting up, you know, should actually say streamlined security operations through a very integrated SIEM and XDR tool base. Let's say workshops focused on Sentinel, workshops focused on Defender for Identities, Defender for Office 365, Defender for Endpoints, the broad spectrum of services that actually make up the Microsoft security operations value. So we actually have all of that available to you in a proactive form through unified support and premier support. We have our Dart offers. So Dart is our detection and response team. They actually have both reactive services available, for example, incident response and Office 365 incident response. They also have proactive services available. For example, tabletop exercises that basically prepare customers for advanced scenarios and how to respond effectively to those advanced scenarios. And then we have our compromised recovery team. And this team helps our customers recover from a major incident, bring the environment as back to normality as is possible in that specific context. So there are a lot of services, there are a lot of offers available from Microsoft to help our customers really streamline their security operations, helping them be set up to respond to the advanced attacks that we actually see in the ecosystem today. So with that, any final thoughts from you, John, before we conclude this conversation? It's always very difficult to conclude these conversations because they're just such a learning experience with you. Yeah. But any final thoughts from you? Right. Well, where, I mean, where do you stop? It's hard to stop talking about this because there's so much to take in. And the thing to remember is that this is a journey, not a destination. And so everyone's on a different part of that journey. We have to adapt and change our journey as we face new threats and new innovations from the threat actors. Microsoft is definitely here to help our customers do that. And I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you about this today. And I look forward to more opportunities to talk about this with you. 
Thanks for this conversation, John. It always is a pleasure talking to you about all things security operations and incident response. I personally end up learning a lot whenever we have conversations like this. So with that, John, thank you so much and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Kenny. Take care. You've been listening to Decoding Security, a show about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Australia. Microsoft Australia provides a comprehensive suite of end-to-end security solutions unified across people, devices, apps, and data. For more information, visit the website microsoft.com forward slash decoding security. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Decoding Security, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mark Anderson, and we'll be back next episode with more Decoding Security. Decoding Security.